electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Tonight on Last Call, Tesla on the hot seat. Should investors prepare for a rude awakening ahead of tomorrow's earnings? AT&T digging in, firing back at reports of dangerous lead in its old cables. Forget Hollywood's strikes. A far more devastating series of union walkouts loom for the entire American economy. The Powerball jackpot hitting a billion bucks, but the winning ticket may not be all it's cracked up to be. We'll tell you why. Plus, call it Swiftonomics. Just how much is Taylor Swift boosting the entire American economy? A new estimate may even leave her speechless. And he is now the last man standing in the battle for Taco Tuesday. We bring back the New Jersey restaurant owner who is refusing to surrender in an epic trademark dispute. All that and much more coming up. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. All right, welcome, everybody. As always, good evening here. Good afternoon out west. I'm Brian Sullivan. We're going to get to all those stories shortly. But first up on Last Call, does this stock market ever go down? We're in a seven-day win streak for the Dow. The S&P 500 now up nearly 20% this year. But the NASDAQ 100 saying to the other indexes, hold my beer. It's up 37%, heading for one of its best years ever. Now, inside the market, 135 S&P 500 stocks have made more than 20% this year. And five big stocks, they have more than doubled. We're going to tell you who in just a bit. It has been an amazing run and clearly good news for investors. But here's the thing. Stocks are going up at the same time that parts of the economy appear to be slowing down. Listen to some recent headlines and stuff that you may have missed. In real estate, mortgages, of course you know, now above 7%, taking a bigger bite out of consumers' wallets. Redfin saying that only 1% of all homes in America have changed hands this year, been bought or sold, one of the lowest rates ever. Meantime, over in the auto business, the banking crisis earlier this year beginning to take a toll because for the first time ever, auto loan rejection rates are now higher than the application rate. In other words, 14% of people who try to get a car loan are now being turned down. That number was only about 2% just two years ago. And it's not just cars. A new Fred survey shows that the overall rejection rate for any kind of loan is now 21.8%, and that is the highest level in years. Now, to be fair, so far, the consumer does not appear to have been hit, and we keep spending. But with these data points just popping up, And the resumption of student loan payments for millions of Americans this fall just kind of puts something in the back of your mind about the overall economy and what the stock market is doing right now. All right. I don't know what's going on, 
but two guys do. Let's bring in our panel to kick off the show, and that is Modern IR President Tim Quast and Carson Group Chief Market Strategist Ryan Dietrich. Ryan, I'll start with you because you've been bullish. You've been, you went bullish in December. You were absolutely right, trouncing a lot of the big boys, a lot of the Wall Street pros making millions, and I hope you do too as well, my friend. They were wrong. What did you see that others missed? Yeah, thanks for having me. First time on the new show, so I'm excited to be here. You know, just sentiment. I traded options for a long time. Everybody was saying the same thing. The view that we had, Brian, and similar now, we said no recession this year. We were one of the few people to say that we saw a strong consumer. We also saw housing likely bottoming. Permits are starting to bottom. Housing starts bottoming. Manufacturing. I know today's manufacturing data wasn't spectacular. A lot of that had to do with auto production. Overall, though, you know, manufacturing looks like it's trying to bottom. Bottom line here. The economy's still on better footing than people think. Now the dollar's going lower. That's going to help earnings potentially. And last comment here, Brian, the broadening out of this bull market. I mean, we we, we were bullish coming into this year, but now you just mentioned here the Dow's up seven days in a row. We really like small caps and mid caps and have all year. And now the realization there is no recession coming this year. The broadening out is something that we think is powerful. And the next stage of this bull market as the baton gets passed around, small and mids should do pretty good the second half of this year. Well, you know, Tim, the one thing that you do and if our viewers aren't familiar with you, I love having you on. I used to get up really early out in Denver for my morning show, and I appreciate it, my man. It's a little more humane. Is what you do is you look at kind of what's happening under the hood, what you and I have talked about a lot, which is called market structure, kind of like to, to, to Ryan's point about options. What do you see under that market hood, the mechanics of the equity market that may be providing the horsepower for the stock runs that we just talked about? Well, Brian, it's good to see you at a civilized hour. We're not doing these infamous, infamous middle of the night interviews. And I've, you know, got the shadow, black shadows behind me because I'm on the, you know, in the in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, so thank you. It's good to like like Ryan. Uh, it's first time on your new show, and I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you for the invitation. So the 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 problem to me, it's not a problem. It is a fact, and the data are overwhelming that support this fact. Stocks are products, not stories. I mean, if you went back to when I, the ancient age at which I started in the U.S. equity markets, <laughs> close to 30 years ago, most of the money in, uh, that, that was managed was managed actively. Nearly all of the volume in the market came from fundamental bottom-up analysis. Today, uh, take the top seven money managers in the United States by, by assets. BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity, State Street, UBS, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley. Over 70% of those assets follow models. And if you, if you look at the stock market, the stock market wants two characteristics. They don't want what makes you different. They want, to know, they want what makes you part of the herd. I grew up on a cattle ranch. We would sell cattle in very uniform fashion. We wanted the same size, the same weight, the same color, because the buyer would pay us the same price for all of them and not cut the spotted one out of the herd. Well, you take those top, the magnificent seven stocks uh, that have driven 75% of the returns in the S&P 500, and they trade four and a half million times a day. Not shares, not shares, times. Come put them all together. They trade $100 billion of stock daily. And the Dow, which, is, which hit a new 52-week high today, is not a growth market. It is a value market. What does it share with those magnificent seven? Size and liquidity. So you can't connect the economy and the market. They're two different things. That's right. When Ryan, to, to, uh, to cut to the meat, shall we say, of, of Tim's cattle metaphor. There we go. 
Okay, let's go inside the market. Does it bother you? Does it, I mean, if you own the S&P 500 ETF, the SPY, you don't care that it's seven stocks out of 500. You're making money regardless. But it sounds like you're starting to see signs that some of these left behind stocks, if you will, smaller mid caps, that they may finally be starting to carry their own weight. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't think too many investors, if they were in the in the SPY, for instance, you know, is, is complaining about being up 20% this year because a seven stocks are leading. Now, believe me, I'm not crazy about this whole the market's up because of five stocks or seven stocks. Literally today, as we sit here, the S&P 500 advanced decline line just made an all-time high. The Dow Jones advanced decline line just made an all-time high. For the listeners, that's a simple um, cumulative basis, how many stocks go up versus down. Market breadth tends to lead price. We think that new highs, which sounded crazy you know, six months ago, are likely. We said earlier this year we thought with good news we could hit new highs. Now we're even getting closer. Brian, think about this. When you're up 10% for the year at the middle of the year, like we were this year, right? the second half, those last six months, do even better. All right, A median return of almost 10% on average. When the S&P is up between 12 and 17%, the sweet spot, those first six months, the next six months, that by the way, we were in there this time, the next six months have never been lower, up like 12% on average. So yeah, I just spouted off some numbers, but with inflation coming back, the Fed likely done, an economy that's still strong, housing manufacturing bottoming, there are just more positives and negatives. Now real quickly, yeah. August, September historically aren't that great. So maybe we have a well-deserved break, Brian, but we would use an opportunity. We think stocks will still be a good deal higher when this year ends from where they are right now with small and cyclicals leading the show. I, I got to quote the, the great 90s rock band Soul Asylum, Tim, nothing draws a crowd like a crowd and you do wonder if because everybody's interested the stock market's making headlines not on cnbc but like the national news like just general news people are now talking about the stock market again is there anything to that where people kind of say well it's, ooh, it's doing well time now to get in and is that is that the right way to think because we all know and i love all of our viewers but a lot of retail investors just make the just the worst timing moves and uh, nothing clears a room at a cocktail party like talking about market structure. And uh, I would I would suggest I would suggest that we follow the, the words of that great philosopher, Steve Miller, who said, go on, take the money and run. But no, look, uh, we have not. We've been. I don't care what the prognostications for the market are. You know, for traders, we provide a short term platform and the, and the supply demand divergences are terrific. We tra I made two percent trading volatility today. So. I'm happy with it. It's not that I'm knocking the great conditions in the market, but I think it is incorrect to suppose that it's a barometer for the economy. That's my only point. It is a barometer for asset allocation behavior. If you want to look at the economy, it, there, are, there are hallmarks to a great economy. There's this great country song from you know, back when, 20 years ago go, that said, I'd love to take you out like I promised, honey, but there's too much month at the end of the money. And that is a major problem for, for, for the consumers. If you look over the last 20 years at gross domestic income, that's yeah. adding up all the money we make. You take consumer debt and credit and you take federal debt. They have all risen at almost precisely the same rate. They all have more than doubled. The trouble with that is that there is no what the economists call solo residual. For putting it in layman's terms, there is no purchasing power. We can't ever get ahead. Everybody mm -hmm. gets to the end of the month and we're dependent on things like bubbles in real estate to square balance sheets. That's a whole other issue. 
You know, yeah. rising debt and rising prices are not the hallmarks of prosperity. They're the enemies of prosperity. Yeah. So we have to address that. But do I like the stock market's concentration in large liquid stuff that we can trade? Well, sure. Yeah, and I just worry all the stuff we laid out, right? Loans harder, they cost more if you get one, the student loan payment's coming back, oil's not trading slick. I'm just saying there's things out there to pay attention to, but let's enjoy the moment. I enjoyed the segment. Tim, Ryan Dietrich, thank you both very much. Really appreciate it, guys. Have a great night. Thank you. All right, well, speaking of the markets and your money, as we said, another win. The Dow up seven sessions in a row. The S&P also up with the big seven tech stocks, of course, leading the way. Now, inside the market today, the big winner of the day, Charles Schwab, jumping more than 12%. We'll get more on that in a bit. And for the biggest loser, extra space storage. Give you some extra buyers. That stock fell down about 3.9%. All right, up next, AT&T punching back on a report. Toxic lead cables can hurt people, and it is to blame. But can that reversal or that denial reverse the sagging stock? Plus, is it finally time to dump Tesla, or has the ride just begun? Dan Ives, Gordon Johnson, join for that debate ahead of tomorrow's earnings. Stick around. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, let's stay on stocks and your money. Last block, like, you know, two minutes ago, we told you about stocks that have doubled this year in the S&P 500. There are five of them. We promised you the names. So here it is with an added bonus of other stocks that have also doubled this year. Just more exclusive last call content you can amaze your friends with tonight. So here you go. Stocks of the big, middle, and small cap indexes that have gone up more than 100%, which is a double. Let's go. Royal Caribbean and Carnival, yep, the cruise lines, they're back. They have more than doubled this year. Royal Caribbean, barely, but it has. Oh, look at Tesla. We're going to talk about them in a bit, up 138%. Meta slash Facebook, up 159%. Who could have seen that coming? And the top S&P 500 stock this year, probably no surprise. It is NVIDIA. It is booming on the AI promise. It's up 225% this year. Meantime, in the mid caps, these are names you probably have not heard about. We've got Builders First Source, Soterra Health Testing Labs, all up 124, 127%, and Super Microcomputer living up to its name, soaring 287% this year. Do not forget about the Mighty Mites and some, not so little anymore. 
There are 10 that have more than doubled this year. Don't have time to hit them all. Here are the top three. The airline SkyWest up 140% since January. Check out this cat, Schrodinger. It's a scientific software company popping 194%. And Arlo Technologies up 217%. Arlo makes wireless surveillance cameras. In this day and age, it's got to be a bull market for that. Checking your work. If somebody tonight asks you, hanging out at the dinner table, whatever, hey, man, like what's the best performing stock in any of these three major indexes this year? You're going to sit up straight and look them in the eye. And you're going to say it's super microcomputer. California-based, com- well, computer company up 287%. Congrats to them. We'll revisit that list soon. All right, it is time for tomorrow's news tonight. First up, it's hot. Phoenix breaking a heat record set all the way back in 1974. Phoenix has now had 19 straight days of 110 degree heat or more. They've also had nine straight nights of 90 degrees or above temperatures, breaking another record. So far, there have been 12 heat-related deaths. Stay safe, hydrate, stay inside where it's cool. Also, a notable AT&T update in a new court filing. It is directly addressing concerns about old toxic cables with lead on them in their network. AT&T says that fewer than 10% of their 2 million miles of cables contain any lead and do not pose an immediate health risk. As a result, it will not remove those cables for the time being. AT&T and other major telecom companies were spotlighted in a recent Wall Street Journal investigation. It said that old phone cable networks could be toxic for people that live near them as lead leaches into the ground and possibly the water. AT&T shares are up after hours, but still at levels not seen since 1993. All right, still ahead here on Last Call. Call it Tesla's moment of truth. Will tomorrow's earnings blow away the naysayers? With this kind of gain, are there any naysayers even left? Dan Ives and naysayer Gordon Johnson are up after this. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. All right, let's get down to your last call watch list. First off, Microsoft hitting another record high. They unveiled pricing for their new Microsoft AI subscription service. It will cost an additional $30 a month. And excitement around AI just did not benefit Microsoft today. NVIDIA, which we just talked about, they build AI chips. They saw their shares jump more than 2%. And this is random but interesting, by the way. The combined market cap gain of Microsoft and NVIDIA, just the gain was $127.7 billion today. Wow. All right, next up, Charles Schwab. Investors apparently did want to talk to Chuck today. Earnings top estimates, the stock surged. Now it is still down in the year, but a good day for Chuck and its investors nonetheless. And another big mover, United Health jumping more than 3% after a Bernstein note said the health insurance giant could rally 25% from current levels. Interestingly, UNH shares closed at exactly $500, literally on the dot. 
Well, don't see that much. All right. Meantime, Tesla will release its second quarter numbers tomorrow after the bell. Me thinks we shall talk about it on this show. Shares for Elon Musk's company have increased nearly 140% so far this year. They've gained over, get this, $500 billion in market cap. That's the gain. Tesla now just sitting below the trillion-dollar club for market cap. Their market cap, by the way, is more than every other car company combined. Wall Street is expecting Tesla's upcoming numbers to reflect the recent run, but could there be some kind of chance the company does miss the mark or people find something else to dither with? Joining us now for more on Tesla is Wedbush Securities Managing Director Dan Ives, longtime bull and GLJ Research founder and CEO Gordon Johnson, obviously longtime bear. Thank you both again, guys. Appreciate it. Dan, first, what are we looking for and is there any risk or any kind of headline we really need to pay attention to in those numbers tomorrow night? I mean, look, ultimately, it was a poker move on the price cuts, and it's been the massively successful strategy. What we've seen in China, as well what we've seen globally, I think demand, this could be toward 2 million units for the year. The big focus will be margins. They're clearly cutting, you know, prices. Does margins, is that 17 and a half? Does that trough out? I believe it does in terms of troughing, and in my opinion, this is a stock on its way to $1.5 trillion mark cap. And I view this as going to be just another prove-me quarter from Musk and Tesla send the bears back into hibernation mode. Wow, another $500 billion possibly added, Gordon. What say you? Yeah, so I think we need to talk about history here. So think about this, right? We had COVID shutdowns that basically shut down the entire automotive supply chain. And you had a chip shortage. What happened during that time is automobile companies couldn't get parts. So what happened? You had literally used cars selling for more than new cars. Automotive margins, which are typically in the low double digits, the low teens, went to 20%. And as a result, guys like Dan who covered tech came over to the auto industry and started covering autos. The problem for Tesla is that problem has been fixed. The reason they're now cutting prices is because their margins were artificially inflated by the shortage of cars. But now that all those cars are available, their margins are now regressing to the mean. So I do not think that their margins are going to just fall this quarter and jump right back up. I think their margins are going back down to what a typical automotive company is. Automotive companies traded six times earnings. So whether the earnings are 90 cents or 80 cents, which we're projecting in line with the street, or 60 cents, you multiply that by four times and divide it into the stock price, you're talking about 80 to 100 times earnings. Auto companies do not trade at that level. So I think that Dan has it wrong that this is more than an auto company. And I think you're seeing that with the price cuts that Tesla's engaging in. Their margins are regressing back to the mean. They're not going to go back higher because they're an auto company. Dan? I mean, I, I, I couldn't disagree more in terms of just that story. Because first of all, it's cherry picking data points. And if you look at ultimately the demand story, the reason Tesla has continued to really own the EV world is because of that margins, which has given them more and more opportunity to squeeze the competition. And like I continue to view this as an AWS moment in terms of what we see on Supercharger, Ford and GM ultimately going toward Tesla, batteries next, then AI. But it just comes down to many like Gordon, they'll yell fire in a crowd theater like they have. But we continue to believe this is a stock. And I think tomorrow is just another sort of opportunity where this is one that continues well, me, to go higher. Dan, let, me, let, me, let me push back. Obviously, you've been, you've been bullish and you've been correct on the stock. Nice call there. I'll push back a little bit just because yesterday we led the show with Ford. 
cutting the price of its F-150 Lightning. Clearly, they're cutting the price because they need to entice buyers to a truck that may or may not be selling well, and the stock fell. So it's like, oh, they cut the price, bad news, stock goes down. Tesla cuts the price. People say, oh, good news. The price is now lower. Let's buy Tesla. It, it is. You have to admit that even as a bull, it's a little weird that the story is like, well, this side bad, that side good. But, Brian, at that point, if you look at Farley and Ford, I mean, their back's against the wall. They're held to a different standard relative to what they're losing on every F-150 that they're making. The reason they're cutting prices is because they hear the footsteps of Cybertruck coming this fall as well as with Rivian. And Tesla right now, it's their world everyone else is paying rent relative to scale, relative to what we see on batteries. And that's why, look, I just believe this is what I view as Apple 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. relative to the broader Tesla story. Gordon? Yeah, I couldn't. So I don't even know what Dan's talking about. Again, I think he's talking in vagaries and platitudes. Listen, their margins in Q2 of last year were 29%. They're going to be roughly 17 to 18%. In Q2 of this year, that's a massive decline. Their market share in China has went from 30% to 11%. It dropped two percentage points in 2Q. Their market share in Europe down from 30% to, 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 to basically 15%. They're actually losing market share in the U.S. too. So they're getting, when he says it's Tesla's world and everybody else is in it, listen, Tesla's used car prices over the past year are down 35%. Fords are down 1%. GMs are up 1%. What would happen if Ford and GM cut their prices 35%? They would crush Tesla. Listen, this is a company that benefited from a temporary shortage of parts that is now correcting. And as a result, they're having to cut their prices and their margins are going back down to a steady state level. Yeah. And I think that that is going to be the story of Tesla this year. And Gordon, Gordon uh, 95% pushed... of revenues from selling cars, 5% from an energy division that barely makes money. I push back. I push back a little bit on Dan. I'll push back a little bit on you as well. And here's what, you know, I'm getting old because I've been doing this for a long time. And I was thinking about Tesla the other day, and I thought, you know, I, I wonder, and I hear all the, all the rational data points and arguments that you're making, Gordon, but it makes me think about another little company called Amazon. And I remember mm -hmm. the, the arguments around Amazon in the late 90s, and people were comparing them to Walmart and some other brick-and-mortar stores. And to, to your point, you are correct. If we compared Amazon to Walmart, Amazon would have been toast. It, but, but people never cared if Amazon made a dime. I don't know why. They, they bought the growth story and that was it. And I do wonder, can we really compare Tesla to any other car company? Because it feels like an Amazon. It kind of feels like it's its own thing. Brian, it's almost a little cult-ish. And, and Brian, well, I would I, just I, say, I, I, I Gordon. Don't you can, I, don't, I don't think you can, I don't, you have to compare it to a car company because 95% of their revenues comes from selling autos. Listen, they did not grow earnings in Q1. In Q1, their earnings were down year over year and quarter over quarter. Their volumes are growing in Q2, but they're barely growing, and they've cut prices significantly. But people right. are going to look at the margins. People are going to look at the earnings power. This is a company that people are saying is going to make sell 20 million cars five years down the line. To do that, they would literally need to ramp a new factory every quarter, starting now, fully sold out. They're not even producing... At I two just of their disagree. factories, their capacity is significantly underutilized, and they've sold. They, they produce more cars, and they've sold five quarters—a record five quarters in a row. They can't sell what they're producing. Ninety-three percent of Americans bought ICE cars in the first half of this year. They said, "We don't want EV." 
despite the fact that Tesla cut their prices 35% and Biden's throwing billions at them. So, no, I don't think this is an Amazon story. This is a car company that has an eccentric CEO who has a pathological problem with the truth. And the fundamentals are going to come out. And I think that's going to be reflected in the stock later this year. I mean, I, I just I would just say the problem and how we've differed with Gordon for years, it just comes down to this is a disruptive technology company that I believe is on the verge, even when it comes to AI battery technology, even what we've seen with the What's supercharger. What's the tech, man? They buy their batteries from their competitors. They don't you, make their own batteries. They're last in FSD. Their FSD is wrecking into wrecking into trees, wrecking into kids. They're, they don't make their own batteries. The battery. But, Gordon, by you saying it, it doesn't make it true. A complete farce. What is the technology that they have? Okay, let's walk through what, what they actually do in Giga, Nevada, what they've done in China, where they basically right now from a battery what perspective. Do? What is the technology that you're talking about they have? They don't have any technology. They make cars. They buy, they buy batteries from their competitors. They talk, talked about a dojo supercomputer, and now they're saying we're going to buy a chip from Samsung that's going to us, get us the level 5 um, uh, FSD. You need, you need radar and LiDAR. Look a chip the, is not going to get you to level five FSD. You have to have radar lighter, like Guamo, like mm -hmm. Cruz. And Dan, they're not but, doing it. Go come, ahead, guys. Appreciate it. Dan, go ahead. Great. Last word. It just comes down to, look, Gordon's always going to have his view, but my view, what the stock's telling you, and it's been our long-term view, that this is a company that's on the verge from a disruptive technology perspective, is the biggest disruption we've ever seen in the auto industry. And it's well, just... And, it, and Dan, from a pop, from a pop point, finish, it's just... Please. And from a popcorn perspective, it's just starting because now some of the parts, you look at supercharger, you look at battery, you look at AI, and that's why we'll be here years from now. And Gordon will be looking at that being like, okay, it's not. Yeah. The, the, and look, and in my opinion, they just continue to prove it again and again. Tomorrow's another prove it from Musk and Tesla. Guys, it was a good debate. Listen, uh, we'll, the, the, the numbers will tell the story tomorrow. Those numbers out after the bell. Gordon and Dan, thank you both very much obviously listen few stocks get the passion of a tesla all right still ahead dual strikes have frozen hollywood but that may be the tip of the strike iceberg we're going to tell you about a number of other possible labor fights that aren't about movies these could cripple the entire american economy All right, welcome back. It stands to be the movie of the summer, and it does not star Tom Cruise. Julia Borston is here with the sensation that is Barbie. Well, Brian, expectations for the debut of Barbie from Mattel and Warner Brothers have continued to rise going into the film's debut this weekend. It's now expected to bring in as much as $100 million from domestic theaters this weekend. That's more than double the expectations for Universal's Christopher Nolan film Oppenheimer, and it puts Barbie well on track to generate returns on its estimated $145 million budget. With the actor strike now underway, Barbie has the advantage of the fact that its big stars promoted the film before the shutdown, which pulled stars off red carpets and the promotional circuit. The film should also benefit from the buzz about it opening in tandem with that very different kind of film parent company, uh, Universal's Oppenheimer. Now, AMC Entertainment, the world's largest cinema chain, said on Monday that more than 40,000 people had purchased tickets to see Barbie and Oppenheimer as a double feature. That's double the number 
that had signed up for this double feature just last week. If Barbie lives up to expectations, it could be the beginning of a wave of films based on Mattel toys. Mattel has more than a dozen different toy adaptations in development, including a Hot Wheels movie that's set to be produced by J.J. Abrams. Though it's worth noting, none of these other films have release dates set just yet. Morgan Stanley with a positive outlook on the box office saying, we quote, we believe that ramping film supply combined with still healthy theatrical demand can drive the box office towards pre-pandemic levels over time. So more reasons to be optimistic for theater chains there. Warner Brothers Discovery should also benefit from this film, along with, of course, Mattel stock. D.A. Davidson out with a note today saying Mattel is on track to benefit from higher toy sales in the near future, which could potentially provide an earnings boost. we got to keep out an eye for Mattel earnings. They report next Wednesday, the 26th, and then Warner Brothers reports on August 3rd. Brian? The combo Barbie and Oppenheimer. I'm just it, your numbers. It sounds explosive. Julia Borston, thank you. I'm sorry. All right. Unfortunately for Hollywood, this weekend's Barbie box office debut is only a small bright spot in the center of a much bigger labor situation. As Julia talked about, Hollywood's actors and writers are still on strike and there's no clear sign of when things may get resolved. And Hollywood strikes may soon be the least of the economy's worries. Teamsters at UPS, the country's biggest courier company, along with the UAW, obviously, of the auto union, and most recently, both Holland and Yellow Freight, those are the trucking companies, all preparing to launch separate strikes if their contract negotiations fail. And those are just the more notable ones. The potential economic disruptions are enormous. So what is driving this worker unrest and how could and should corporate America deal with it? Let's take it to our panel Joining us now is founder and CEO of Operation Hope, John Hope Bryant, and Skybridge Capital founder, Anthony Scaramucci. Uh, John, listen, you're, you're based in Atlanta. UPS is based in Atlanta. I, I'm just telling you, you, you probably know people at UPS management. If they go on strike, what is going to happen to the American economy? Uh, I actually think the UPS will work their way through it. Uh, we actually have a Hope Inside location that does financial coaching uh, at UPS. I know the spirit of the, of the leadership there. I think they'll work their way through it. I think the spirit of management and the spirit of labor has to be aligned. Um, the Bible, even the Bible says a house divided cannot stand. Look, I think that the larger issue is not whether there is a conflict of, around whether people are pro- compensated. This happens every decade or so. I think we forget sometimes that we live in a capitalist democracy. And with regard to the you know, folks in Hollywood, they've always, the studios have done well when their workers have also Profited when they've gone from this linear TV model with residual payments to a streaming model, they didn't okay. fix the compensation structure. You have yeah. Delta Airlines later, Delta Airlines and B of A, who've actually had a different strategy and have had no problem with their labor markets and actually been more yeah. profitable as they rewarded their labor for leaning in. And, and we want everybody to to make as much as they can. We want them to get paid. A lot of these people did, did yeoman's work, hard work, while we're all hiding away in our offices, Anthony, during COVID. They were the ones out there, actually out there keeping the American economy going. That said, we know inflation, the headline number has come down. But when we're seeing 40% jumps for United Airlines pilots, we're seeing longshoremen, we're probably going to see huge pay increases. Again, well-deserved from UPS to the truckers. I don't see how this is not long-term, extremely inflationary. 
Well, you have to look at the total of American labor, the workforce of the United States that's tied to unions. Right now, it's roughly around 10%, Brian. So even if you got a 40% increase in all of those, it's only 10% of the overall workforce. So I'm not overly concerned about it. Uh, I think what you have to be concerned about long term, though, is the split between capital and labor. The country does better when that split is more even. It has spread recently, and I think this is the big angst between the actors and the writers as it relates to the executives. This is the same thing that happened in Major League Baseball back in the mid-70s where the owners were making a yeah. lot of money and the Major League ball players were sort of fixed on these fixed salaries. So to me, the big issue is, are we gonna calm down these spreads between the capital owners and the business executives and the underlying labor force? Because that's creating aspirational angst in the country. Uh, that's making people feel that there's a degree of unfairness yes. that has to be remediated. Uh, but right now, if you just look at it for where it is, 10% of the workforce uh, getting these pay raises it's not going to be that troublesome well, to the inflation fair, data. Fair enough, Anthony, but, they, but I think the 10% accounts for a lot more in terms of total GDP with cars and, and logistics and all that. John, listen, on Predict It, the betting market, the president is down to 66 cents, which is 66%. He's the incumbent, and there's no planned debates, and he's only at 66%. Newsom's at 22% now, and RFK Jr. at 12%. Something's up. Is this kind of stuff, could it hurt could it impact in some way the election? I mean, the president needs everything to run smoothly. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, people, America, uh, you know, really votes its pocketbook. I, by the way, I agree 100% with what Anthony said, Brian. And I'm going to go one step further. Delta Airlines during the pandemic doubled down, gave its workers a share of prosperity, of profit sharing. Um, and uh, we do financial coaching for all Delta workers. They now have a... I think it was $17 billion for the profit and an 81% increase of profit over last year uh, because they've treated the workers the right way. B of A agreed to give workers 25 bucks an hour. People said that's crazy. That's $1.2 billion for mm -hmm. a social justice program. They just reported $25 billion of profit, one of the top 10 most profitable in the yeah. country. Your worker, you know, happy wife, happy life, happy labor, happy wealth. Um, we have got to realize we are connected. Unions cannot be at, in, at, at war with management because the health of bodies it, it does, will not stand. we got to understand that we're better together. Yeah. Management has to understand they can't live without labor, and labor has to understand they need management to win. Otherwise, we'll be speaking Mandarin in five or ten years, uh, yeah. as in China. So we can win, but we've got to realign our values. And by the way, Brian, in 71, 61% of Americans were middle class. Today, it's 50%. So people are feeling that they're not doing nearly as well. And to, to Anthony's point, it's really about not feeling wealth yep. participation. And that we can change. It's a software grade on, on capitalism. Well, Anthony, to my previous point, listen, if I was a labor union leader, I'd be like, let's go, guys, because we know the president's got to have our back, right? Because he can't have a disruption. And he has said, I'm pro-union. So they, they probably think that if it comes down to some sort of mediation, that they're going to get their way. I would do the same thing, by the way. Well, yeah, let me just add to that. Let me be that labor union leader for a second. <laughs> I would I would put a lot of pressure uh, and I would I would put a lot of public pressure because I think the media would respond to that. If you show charts of the distribution of profits that go to management 
versus labor. You take it back to what John just said, the 1970s or even earlier in the 1950s, it smacks of great unfairness. So you'll get the politicians on your side uh, and you may even win over public opinion. And so so to me, I think that's where things have mm-hmm. to go. Uh, and to what John said is that is a very powerful economic tonic for the future. Remember, yeah. Henry Ford said, I'm going to pay these guys enough money so that they can purchase the vehicle that they're producing. We're going to put them in houses with good school systems. I don't want them coming after me in my mansion with pitchforks and tiki torches. Uh, And it's a raw way of saying it, but we need better distribution of profits between the capital and the labor, and a lot of good times will come. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, Anthony, John Hope, Brian, really appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. Critical time. All right, coming up, just how much Taylor Swift is adding to the entire American economy. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Taylor Swift just became the first female artist with four Billboard Top 10s at once. I mean, has anybody actually done that? I'd like to know. Anyway, her Worldwide Eras Tour could make her part of the Billionaire Club very soon. But in addition to boosting her own bottom line, she is putting the city she is visiting on her back as well. According, it's not our opinion, the Philadelphia Fed said that her concert in the city increased hotel revenue to the strongest month since the pandemic. And in Cincinnati, Swifties helped downtown hotels gross more than $2 million. According to a brand new estimate, total consumer spending on the tour, now an estimated $4.5 billion. If Taylor Swift's tour was a nation, it would be the 156th biggest economy in the world based on GDP comparisons. That is bigger, by the way, than the economies of countries like Belize. Joining us now to break down the swift anomics of this is Mara Klonig. She is senior analyst at Kamoin Associates and apparently a Swifty herself. Mara, have you have you been on tour? And if so, can we can we ask you to maybe give us a little bit of your own economic contributions to wherever you may have seen the concert? Yeah, I was fortunate enough to get tickets to her Cincinnati stop. It was um, one of the best experiences of my life. I live in Indianapolis, so I did contribute some economic impact to the city of Cincinnati. Wow. So how big is the Taylor Swift economic halo? Yeah, so she's on track to generate $590 million in sales in the U.S., which is going to you know result in $4.6 billion in consumer spending. Is it just, yeah, like you coming to Cincinnati, dropping money on a hotel, which you probably gouged on, by the way, going to <laughs> dinner? Or does it look at the concert, like the ticket revenue? What exactly did you analyze in your study? Yeah, so we, we did it. My, my wonderful colleague, uh, Angela Hollowell, and I did a review of economic impact studies that other people have done about, you know, the economic impact of Taylor Swift coming to their city. And what they're showing is an impact of anywhere between 40 and $150 million impact per city. That's going to vary quite a bit depending on where that stadium is in relation to like the downtown area and kind of their, you know, tourism uh, districts. It's going to depend on how many kind of alternate options for entertainment that people find while they're in that city. Um, It's going to depend on that city's ability to handle that kind of big surge in demand and just the strategies already in place. My guess is you drove, what is that, I-65, I think, or something like that. But my guess is, and I know people that flew to other cities because they couldn't get tickets 
where they were. Just a remarkable study. Uh, Mara, I hope you get to see another show, if you can afford it. Mara, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. All right, coming up, a Taco Tuesday tiff coming to an end, but there is one man standing between Taco Bell and the Taco Tuesday trademark. Obviously, he's Jersey strong, and he's up next. All right, you may remember last month we told you the story of an intense trademark battle over the term Taco Tuesday. The phrase is trademark. Taco John's, a Midwest chain, owns the trademark in 49 states. But Gregory's Restaurant and Bar has owned it in New Jersey since 1982. Taco Bell, meantime, has filed paperwork to undo all of that. And now Taco John's is giving up on defending of its trademark, citing the high legal costs. Joining us now is the co-owner of Gregory's Restaurant and Bar, Greg Gregory. Greg, love having you on. It's a little bit confusing. Here's the bottom line. Nobody but you can use the term Taco Tuesday legally in the state of New Jersey. Is that correct? That is correct. Taco Bell can't do it. Taco John's not in New Jersey, but nobody can. So you're sitting on a pot of gold. What what do we got to pay you to dump that term? I don't know if we're sitting on a pot of gold, tell you the truth. We may be sitting on a pot of uh, salsa and cheese and tomato and lettuce, but uh, we're, we're willing to talk to anybody about what's going to happen. And we don't, we don't know what's going on, but we're a little blindsided by Taco John's folding their tent before it really even got started. You know, we're, we're just in the basic beginning of all this, and I thought maybe they hadn't more faith in the yeah uh, the taco john's put their tortilla between their legs and ran off i mean what do you what do you make of that i'm i'm stunned you know you would think i'm the little guy weak sauce taco johns pardon me so i said it's weak sauce taco johns i agree (laughs) (laughs) i I like that i like that yeah look not not muy caliente i'll tell you that we're we're excited that that all this press is going on and taco Tuesday's been good to us for 40 some years. And our family, you know, has planned taco Tuesday be the day before payday because it's yeah. done so quickly, good for quickly, us. Greg, about 30 seconds. Was it you or like your dad or who was the genius that thought of this in 1982? I'm not going to say genius, but I was uh, searching food items at a food court. And I saw people standing in line for tacos. We decided to have them on the menu, but we didn't want to do it regular because wasn't a lot of people eating t- Mexican food in 1979. We ended up trying it and did it on one night a week, Taco Tuesday, and it turned into a happening. And it's been good wow. for us. And we just, I don't think it's fair that we're it. losing it. Before and, the, uh, great, great, we got, we got, we got to leave it there. Before the summer's over, I'm going to come visit you all the way down south on the Jersey Shore. Thanks for watching. Greg, thank you. We'll see you tomorrow night, everybody. Shark Tank is next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.